And now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. As we begin now this morning, the 11th chapter. We'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 13 of Luke chapter 11. If you would please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. The Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will not answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word. And that by your word you would draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, prayer is an important part of the Christian life. Isn't it? It's something you expect to hear about in church. That you should pray and that praying is good. You might even get tips and encouragements toward prayer. But this morning we look at our Lord Himself instructing us in prayer. And as we look at this passage, we see three things about prayer. We see a pattern. We see petitions, and we see a practice that we are to make. And so the Lord Jesus Christ 
is not just telling us what to pray for. He is giving us a model prayer and then giving us assistance in how we should pray. And these three things are done because prayer is vital to the Christian life. You see, Jesus knew prayer was important. His life was filled with instances of prayer and recounted no more than in the Gospel of Luke. If we were to go through the Gospel of Luke, we would see at each of the significant events in Jesus' life, He is found praying or found encouraging others to prayer. Before His baptism, before He chooses the disciples, He spends time after time, again, alone and apart, seemingly the opposite of what we would have Jesus do in our modern 24-7, busy, busy world. Jesus wastes time by Himself in prayer. But you see, that shows us how important prayer is. If it's something that Jesus made a part of His life, if it's something that Jesus took time out for, the busiest person to ever walk the earth, then it should be important to us as well. The disciples saw this, that their life needed to be marked by prayer. They saw Jesus with His life marked by prayer. And they said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, can you imagine this? Jesus is praying, and as soon as He finishes, they say to Him, we want to do that too, Lord. It sort of reminds us that we're the children of God. Doesn't it? Those of you who have children know exactly what I mean. You can do just about anything. You cook something on the stove, work in the yard, build something, and your children will come up and say, show me how to do that too. I'd like to do it. But you see, that's the position that we're in as believers. We're children of a heavenly Father. And so Jesus begins then to teach them how to pray. And we have to understand that this is a model prayer, not a mantra that we repeat over and over again. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer as it is in the Scripture. But this is a model that Jesus gives to us. His disciples wanted to be more like Jesus. And so when Jesus tells them about prayer, do you notice how simple his answer is? I dare say we would want to give a theological lecture in 12 to 15 parts to go over prayer. And yet Jesus simply models this prayer in a few lines. He gives a simple answer. Now, we are blessed this morning as we're in the Gospel of Luke, and this is easier for us to see the model nature of the prayer. For as the text was read, I'm assuming for many of us, it sounded different, a little bit off. Maybe you first thought, well, it was that there's no King James language. But then you looked and you said, no, Hollywood is there. And then you said, well, wait a minute, isn't there something missing? There are phrases missing like, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is Luke messing up the prayer? 
Is this a contradiction in the Bible? Does that mean everything in the Bible is wrong? No. This is a good example of how to come to the Scriptures. Don't come with a preconceived notion. Think about it. Do you honestly think in three years of ministry, Jesus would only teach his disciples about prayer once? No. This is simply another occasion. This fits in with everything we know about Jesus and the disciples. Jesus has taught them an important topic, and what have the disciples done? They've forgotten it. They haven't applied it as well as they should. They're like you and like me. And so Jesus teaches them again. And the language is a little bit different, but it's not that there are Bible errors. This is more like two sermons in two worship services. You don't need to check up on me, but I guarantee you that I will not use the exact same words and phrases in the 11 o'clock sermon as I preach this same text. You see, this is what Jesus is doing. It's the same way that you would teach your children how to do things. You would use different phrases, different examples. This is what Jesus does. Because, you see, prayer is not a form. It is not a formality to be gotten through. Our forefathers in the faith died to protect that principle. They refused to only have prayers that were written out in advance and pre-approved. They said, no, we must have studied prayers. We must allow for the Spirit. We must allow for pastoral judgment. And many in the 17th century were imprisoned or even executed for the failure to treat prayer as a form. This is a challenge to you and me. For how often is our prayer life marked only by saying grace before a meal? And how often is that a formula that we repeat over and over again? Is your life marked by prayer? Or has it slid into a form and a formality for you? Because you see, this type of prayer, biblical prayer, is relationally motivated. Jesus says, pray to the Father. Now, this is often called the Lord's Prayer, but we might better call it the Disciples' Prayer. Now, I'm wise enough to know I'm not going to change the name of the prayer after 2,000 years. But I want you to understand, this is a prayer that Jesus teaches His disciples. As a matter of fact, Jesus can't properly pray this prayer, can he? For he says, forgive us our sins. So this is not a prayer that Jesus prays. It's a prayer that we are to pray. And it's a radical new way to pray. And Luke actually highlights for this, this for us better than Matthew. You see, Matthew's version of this teaching begins... Our Father who art in heaven. Which sounds a bit more formal and more robust. Luke just begins breaking in and says, Father. Now, you have to understand that in this day and age, it was radical to pray to God as Father. The Old Testament understood theologically that God was Father, but it didn't dwell upon it. In all of the Old Testament, God is only referred to as a father in prayer 14 times. That's less 
than a half a time a book. And in every instance, it's a corporate prayer as the people of Israel pray, Our Father. Jesus here is teaching each of His disciples, each one of you, no matter how old or how young you are, He is teaching you to pray to God as your Father. Now that's jarring at first. But it reminds us that prayer is following Jesus. Because Jesus always prayed to God as His Father. As a matter of time... A matter of fact, more than 60 times we see that in the New Testament. This may actually be one of the greatest differences between God's truth in the Old and New Testaments. It's the flowering of the understanding of God as a Father. This kind of relationship that we have with God motivates our prayer. It shows the affection that the Father has for us. It reminds us that we are a family that we are adopted, that we have an interest in God. This is how Jesus sets the stage for how we are to pray. And then He begins to give us petitions. Five in total here. Matthew will have more. But let's look at the five here. Now, we have to understand again that this is a model prayer. This is not simply that we pray these words, but Jesus is giving us categories of praying. He's giving us a model to build our prayers upon. And the first thing we have to understand is that prayer has both a vertical and a horizontal dimension. We are to pray vertically to God for His glory. And then we are to pray horizontally for our needs and the needs of others. And in this, the form is helpful. So if we have two types of prayers, two directions, it helps us to notice which comes first. Do you see that? We begin with the vertical dimension. The place to start is with God with His honor, with a reminder of His power. And the first prayer there is, Hallowed be Your name. Lord, make Your name holy. This is a way that we can acknowledge that God is holy and right and true. And for us, this is important because it means that we must listen to Him in His Word. We must take Him seriously. We must honor Him and His name with our lips, both publicly and privately. We must honor the Lord as holy with our actions. You see, by acknowledging who God is, we are affected. God is not some far-off being that doesn't affect us. Who God is affects our daily life. It is also something that we pray for others. We pray that God would be glorified throughout the world. That His name would be declared as holy and displayed throughout all the world. Is that your prayer this morning? What a wonderful way to to begin thinking about missions and evangelism. That it begins with the holiness of God and wanting God to be known as He is throughout all the world. So, does evangelism overwhelm you? 
You say, I haven't memorized 40 verses of the Bible. Does missions scare you? I don't want to go to deepest, darkest Africa. Well, then today you can begin simply by praying that God's name would be holy throughout all the world. That's the first step to seeing the Lord established as the ruler, rightful and true, of all of the earth. For you see, it is no coincidence that the second vertical prayer follows on the first. If the first prayer is about God's reputation, about the holiness of His name, the second prayer is about His rule. Your kingdom come. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Is it some geographic area? You know, that can get awfully confusing. I saw this past week someone had drawn a map of Syria and Iraq and divided the territory by the about eight groups that are fighting over that area. You can't tell which kingdom begins here and which one ends there. And even as they draw the lines, there were notations, territory disputed. But you see, that's not how God's kingdom works. There is no line that if you cross, you have left God's kingdom. No, God's kingdom is where His glory is seen and where His reign holds sway. That actually points out the model nature of our prayer. For you see, the missing part is implicit here. You know where Matthew writes, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's exactly what is included here in the phrase, Your kingdom come. It's explicit in Matthew, but it's implicit here. We want the reign of the Lord our God to spread outwards to be above all else. That's where we begin praying. But the Lord is gracious and kind and He knows there is more to our prayer life than simply acknowledging His glory and goodness. He knows we have pressing needs. He actually knows that one of the things that keeps us from prayer is our pressing needs. And so He reminds us of the horizontal nature, that we not only pray vertically, we pray upward, but we also pray downward. And so the third petition is, give us each day our daily bread. Do you see what God wants you to pray? Remember, this is God Himself, Jesus Christ, telling you how to pray. He wants you to pray for your needs for your daily needs, for your daily humble needs. How much more humble, boring if you will, can you get than praying for today's bread? It's not even today's bagels or toast or something with jam. It's the bare sustenance of life. And you see, the Lord God wants you to know that He cares for you. And that you ought to pray for those daily things that you need. 
and to pray for each day's need, not to presume upon tomorrow's or next week or next year, but sufficient is the need of the day. And so this word daily that is so highlighted for us here that the only place in all of Greek literature that this word for daily is used is here and in Matthew 6. And it's a word that encompasses praying for the needs of today and perhaps for the needs of tomorrow. It's as basic as you get. So the question then comes to you, are you content with what God provides? Or are you unwilling to pray for bread? You're only willing to pray for steak. Or perhaps for some of us, we're only willing to pray for filet mignon. We wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers The second petition that is given to us is not just for provision, but also for pardon. Forgive us our sins. Now, here is where we can be given great encouragement from the Scriptures. Too often, times of prayer become organ recitals. We pray for someone's stomach, someone's leg, someone's lungs, someone's back. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for those needs. Jesus tells you to do it. But do you notice there is one material need prayer and there are two spiritual need prayers. The first of them is to pray for pardon, for the forgiveness of sins. It's a reminder that we come into God's presence not trusting our own righteousness, but trusting in His grace. We acknowledge that sin is horrible and that it leaves us in debt The third petition that we see is for protection. Lead us not into temptation. Now this is a bold asking of God. Better not to sin at all than to sin and be forgiven. But you see here, God is not the one who tempts. Do not let a false view of Scripture lead you astray. For the same author of the Scripture that wrote this prayer the Holy Spirit, also wrote James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He Himself tempts no one. But what does this mean then? This means that God knows that we are tempted and that He is able to protect us. It is an acknowledgement that we are powerless and we need the Lord to actively protect us from temptation. This is not just that we would be fine unless God messed us up. No, the reality is we are a wreck. We are like the person who's on a diet, who spends the whole day with their head in the refrigerator, thinking they're on a diet and saying, if I could only get these food manufacturers to properly label, then I would lose some weight. But you see, we are given to sin. And we need the active protection of the Lord, our God. We need the Lord to actively fight sin for us. Well, Jesus has given us petitions that we are to pray. But He also gives us a manner in which we are to pray, the practice of prayer. And it begins with praying persistently. There is a boldness to prayer 
that we must cultivate. And Jesus gives us the story of the, the bread borrower. Now, you have to understand the story in context. We live in a world where you could drive down to Walmart or HEB at 3 o'clock in the morning and get whatever you want. Back in those days, when the sun went down and the doors were shut and bolted, day was over. You couldn't get anything. You didn't talk to people. And as a matter of fact, typically what happened with a family is they had a family bedroom in which they jammed all of the sleeping beds. So when the man says that he's in bed with his children, he's not talking about some sort of gigantic king-size bed where everybody is lounging and kicking each other in the face. What he means is the room is wall-to-wall beds. And to get out of bed means climbing over sleeping people. And he says, go away. Come back tomorrow. Now, do you see what Jesus says? They're friends. He's willing to give him bread, just come back tomorrow. But he won't give up. He's shouting, no, I really need it. And you can imagine then, candles go on in the houses that are neighbors. Hey, what's all that racket? Well, I'm trying to get some bread. Well, go home. No, you got to give me the bread. Well, after a while, what would you do? I'll get out of bed and I'll get him the bread. Go home already, would you? You see, Jesus is saying here the principle that if we are persistent in prayer and we are bold in prayer, that the Lord our God will answer. And this gives us great confidence. So we don't need to worry about, is God too busy to hear my prayer? Are my prayers too small for God? Should I wait till I have a bigger need? You see, Jesus tells us we're to be persistent. And he gives us verbs that are piled upon each other. Imperatives. Ask. Seek. Knock. Keep after prayer. But the second thing that informs our practice of prayer is to pray expectantly. We're to expect the Father's good gifts. And he tells this story. What dad would give his kid a serpent or a scorpion? Could you imagine that? I couldn't imagine an enemy doing that, let alone a parent. And you see, the question here expects a big, loud no. I wouldn't expect that. And it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Jesus says... If you who are evil and sinful, remember our earlier prayer? If you wouldn't do that, why would you possibly think the omnipotent, holy, good and gracious God would? We're to pray expecting the Father to answer and to answer in a way that is good for us. But you parents know this. That doesn't mean giving someone whatever they ask for or want, right? I'm sure there are some five and six-year-olds here that have asked to drive the car. That's not going to happen. I know there are children here, and some of them are grown-up children, who ask to eat a whole pie before dinner. That's not going to happen. And you see, Jesus highlights this for us. He says... When you pray to your heavenly Father, He will give the Holy Spirit. 
to those who ask. He won't just give you whatever you ask for. He will give you the Spirit to give you wisdom and guidance to deal with your troubles, to deal with your difficulties, to actually help you how to pray. This is the good God that we serve. We can pray expectant to receive good from His hands. And we can pray expectantly that we are in the Father's love. For all of this comes back to the fact that the Father loves us in Jesus Christ. He has given us the greatest gift. He's given us the gift of His Son. That we might know Him. That we might be made right with Him. This morning, as you think about prayer, know that you are loved. Know that your Heavenly Father hears you. And with that, you can pray accordingly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask once again this morning that You would bless us, that You would bring us deeper and deeper into Your Word. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.